Good morning, my name is Ellie Jones. Please listen to God's word from 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, the calendar tells me I'm uh, getting uh, older, and uh, people around me seem to be telling me that too. Uh, Ryan caught me between services and said, ah, sweater vest is kind of interesting. You got sort of a Mr. Rogers thing going on today. Uh, okay, I'll own that, I guess. Uh, we are actually going to talk about being neighbors kind of today. Uh, and I've got these new glasses. Uh, I finally had to go to progressive lenses, so we'll see if I can see anything or how that works out, so bear with me. There's a, a funny and sad scene in the movie When Harry Met Sally. It stars uh, Billy Crystal and uh, Bruno Kirby. Is, uh, they're two best friends. And uh, Billy Crystal is Harry, and he's sitting down with his friend Bruno, uh, whose uh, character is Jess in the movie, and uh, telling him about a hard conversation and some hard stuff that's happened in his life recently. His wife says that she wants to divorce him. And uh, as, as the story goes on, things keep getting worse. Not only that, she's already drawn up papers. And then the very next day, movers show up to their house. And he's like, when did, when did you guys get this gig? And the wife finally confesses she called them a week ago. So he's like, great. So now the movers knew I was getting divorced a week before I did. And then he says, uh, and then I, you know, I just, I followed her and found that she's actually also having an affair with another guy. And finally, Harry confronts her and asks his wife, don't you love me anymore? And she says, I'm not sure I ever really loved you. And Jess goes, ouch, you don't get over that in a hurry. As this caring friend, Jess is there listening and, and entering into Harry's pain and, and sharing compassion. And, and the humorous part is this whole conversation is taking place at Giant Stadium with 60,000 people sitting around them. And, and Harry's like pouring out his heart and all this tragedy to his friend Jess. And, and the fans are jumping up and down and doing the wave. And, you know, he's going back and forth. And... Uh, and the women are probably going, that's crazy. And guys are going, like, I could see myself doing that, heart-to-heart you know, -heart in a football stadium with 60,000 guys. At least it got connected somewhere. Do you have friends like that? Friends that you could really talk to about just hard, painful things that are happening in your life who could encourage you and walk through that with you. Uh, maybe... 
the answer to that question depends on how you define a friend. I mean, we've got family friends and close friends and best friends and work friends and Facebook friends and sort of friends and, and everything in between. And obviously, friends are great. I mean, they make us laugh. They lift our spirits. Most memorable experiences happen with friends. Like, how many of us have great stories of, oh, remember when we did that crazy thing? And it becomes an inside joke, and it's part of the relationship. And, uh, and, and yet, no matter how many friends you have, no matter how good they are, how many moments we've shared together with friends, I think all of us share one thing in common, and that's this. We have never had, and we never will be, a perfect friend. Friendships, even at their best, in this broken world, have this mark of disappointment and hurt and being let down. I mean, if you think about it, really, those best times that we've had with our friends can also turn and become the worst times and and the greatest disappointment. We can have the highest highs with our friends and in relationships then can also be the source of our greatest pain and and longing. You know, there, there are times together with friends when we feel like, man, I wish this would never end. And then there are other times when we feel like, how much longer is this? And can I just go home and be by myself? Because this hurts and I don't like it. Why are relationships so hard? Why do they hold out so much promise and at the same time deliver so much pain? I mean, in the movie, Harry's wife decides she doesn't want to be with him anymore. And maybe some of you have even been in that conversation or that situation. Many of us have had relationships that ended badly or just ended. And all of us, at one level or another, have experienced conflict and hurt and disappointment and regret. And and so out of that, you know, sometimes we just back away. We'll settle for the superficial. You know, we'll keep it on Facebook or uh, we never talk about anything really significant. Connecting with each other at a deep, meaningful level seems difficult and rare, even among Christians. In her book, Life Together in Christ, Ruth Haley Barton recounts a friend saying to her, community is the most over-promised and under-delivered aspect of Christian experience. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry, so I think I did both, Barton says. It's hard not to be skeptical. There's something about humans trying to get together and function and live together over a long period of time that's just difficult. This morning, we're continuing in our Looking Forward series as we also want to go back to the foundations of our vision and our faith and our values uh, to help us understand what we think God really is calling us to be and do going forward. And this morning, we're looking at how God intends to shape his church into a true, loving community. So if you have your Bibles still open to 1 John chapter 4, we're going to be looking at this passage that Ellie read for us. We are made for community. In spite of all the disappointments and hurts, we are made for community. And we are made for community because God himself is a community. The church is meant to be a community that knows love because it knows God. John tells us in the end of verse 8, God is love. 
Now, we've all heard that before, but if you think about what that means, what's implied there? In order to love, what do you have to have? You have to have an object for that love, don't you? I can't love in isolation. I can think about love, I can desire love, I can appreciate love, but for there to actually be love happening, there has to be someone loved. And that's what's significant about what John is saying here. Because God is a community of Father, Son, and Spirit in himself, that makes it possible for us to actually know what love is because God is love. And it's telling us the whole core of life, reality, human experience is relational. Because that's who God is. The whole reality of this world and us being made in God's image reflects that God is a community himself. And we are made for community and for relationship. Love has its origin and essence in God and that cannot be unless God himself is a community. A solitary God who exists with nothing else around him cannot love. He could think about love, desire love again, but love requires relationship. And so this doctrine of the Trinity that we talk about, that there's one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's not just some weird Christian aberration. It's, it's not just some odd doctrine that we've held on to because of tradition. This is bedrock to to understanding us and the world and the nature of God himself that from eternity past, Father, Son, and Spirit have lived in a relationship of mutual love and admiration and honoring one another and, and glorifying one another. And that means that this knowledge, this understanding of who God is matters because it gives us the answer to everything our hearts are longing for. Because we want to know love. We're looking for love. We sing songs about it. We catch glimpses of it right here here and now. We have samples of it. But God is the ultimate expression of that love that we are looking for. Because as John says in verse 7, love is from God. Because God is by his nature love. Jesus says this, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's what John is getting at here too, isn't he? In verse 9, the love of God was made manifest in this, that God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Do, Do you see that? The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, takes on human flesh and enters into our world and comes to die in order that we might live. The God who is love comes to show love and give love and transform us by that love. That's what John goes on to talk about in verse 10. This is love, not that we have loved God, not not that we're great at loving Not that we have relationships figured out or that we deserve it. This is love, that God sent his son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, there's a word that you can take out to your uh, after-church lunch conversations, right? What did you guys talk about at church today? Propitiation. 
some of your translations may read, uh, he is the expiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And those are all good ways of translating this Greek word. Propitiate means to turn away God's wrath. That a holy God has a just anger at our sinful disobedience and rejection of him. And Jesus comes to take that wrath on himself, to turn it away, so that our sins, our failure to love, could be covered, could be covered over, and the breach between us and God could be repaired. So that what has separated us from God has now been fixed by Christ so that we are now invited back into fellowship, back into relationship, into communion with God. The church is the unique community that knows the self-giving love of God. That is part of what makes the church unique. God is love. Love is defined in community. And so it's impossible to love on our own, independently, isolated. We come to Christ individually. All of us have to come to the point for ourselves of saying, I see that I am the sinner that Jesus died to save, that his blood has come to reconcile me, and I receive that as a gift by faith. All of us have to do that individually, but we don't follow Jesus individually. As soon as we do that, we become part of God's family. And now all these people are brothers and sisters with us together. I mean, if you think about it, we don't even come to faith in Christ on our own. Somebody shares the gospel with us. Somebody preaches God's word to us. If nothing else, somebody even wrote these words down so that we could have them in our hands. So it's, it's not something that we do on our own. And, and if you are in Christ, the Bible says, yes, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. But we're also told that we together are being built into a temple where God lives by his spirit. God calls us not only to be individuals who believe in him, but a community that belongs to him and to each other. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 uses that picture of, of the church as the body of Christ. And all the parts are necessary and all the parts need each other. Not only does the community need us, we need community to be everything that we're meant to be. C.S. Lewis was a professor at Oxford and a writer and was part of a group of writers that got together at a local pub to share pieces of what they were writing on, to encourage one another, to bounce ideas off each other. One of the group, Charles Williams, died kind of unexpectedly. And Lewis reflects on the loss of this friend Charles in his book, The Four Loves, when he's talking about friendship. Listen to this quote from Lewis. In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I need lights other than my own to shine all of that man's facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald to myself, now that Charles is gone, I have less of him. 
because there were things in Ronald that only Charles could draw out and that made him unique in contributing to that relationship. Lewis goes on, in, in this way, friendship is like heaven itself, where the very multitude of the saints increases the, the full experience that each of us has of God. Every soul, seeing God in his or her own way, communicates that unique vision to all the rest. Now, you remember last week, Joey was preaching on Isaiah 6 and this vision of the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy to one another in the presence of God. Lewis says this, that, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, holy, holy to one another. Because they're seeing things about God's character that the other ones are not seeing and they're crying out to each other, look at this part of God, look at that part of God, look at how glorious this part of God is. You see, that, that's what we do for each other. I am finite, I'm, I'm mortal, I'm limited, and I can only grasp a, a small part of who God is. But I can see and experience God in, in ways that others can't. And so we need each other to fully understand who God is. I can't do that on my own. Even sitting down with this Bible and reading through it, I need others to share their experiences and, and their insights of who God is for me to really know God. And I can't even really know myself fully without other people. I need other people to pull out of me the things that only they can, can bring to the surface. Without those people, I am less than what God created me to be. And others will draw things out of our friends that we can't. Kids bring out a side of Amelia that I don't bring out. Thank goodness, <laughs> right? And vice versa. I mean, that's true, right? They, the kids have bring a dynamic to the relationship that isn't just there between a husband and a wife. And our kids' friends bring things out of them that we don't elicit out of our children. And, and it's great to see that happen, to see the, the creativity and, and the variety that others pull out of us. Now, I have, a, I have a bit of an introverted streak in me. I really kind of, I like being around people, but I get recharged by going home and, and being quiet and going off by myself and, and maybe some quiet classical music in the background and just a closed door and maybe a good book to read and leave me alone for a while. And I'm also kind of analytical, so there's this part of me that, you know, I like to process things, I like to think through them, I like to have time to reflect and... And the downside of that is uh, I can live way too much in my own head, right? Can anyone else relate to that? I just spend too much time listening to myself and listening to my thoughts and going over and over them. And, and all of us, I think, can do that because studies even show that when we're isolated, we get weird. <laughs> I, I mean, it's true, right? In fact, on a more serious note, if you think about it, the worst punishment that we can give to prisoners is not to torture them physically, but to put them in solitary confinement. People can literally lose their grip on reality when we get isolated. And think of the ways that, that our culture works against building real community. I mean, we, we 
live in homes that are kind of isolated from each other on pretty good-sized plots of land. We spend a lot of time in our cars commuting back and forth to work, and then we get home, and we're tired from all that driving, and then I just want to sit on the couch and have the world go away, and I've got 400 channels on TV and the entire Internet and uh, Spotify and, and every kind of entertainment and information. So I don't need anyone else. If I do want some relationship, you know, maybe I'll go into Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever it is, and I have a kind of a connection with people, but, but it's, it's managed, isn't it? And I get to let people only see the parts of me that I want them to see. And, and I, I present, you know, all the good parts that I want you to know about. And, and I kind of manage my image so that we don't really know each other through social media. And then our culture, of course, teaches us to, to believe in, you know, kind of our sovereign solitary self i'm the master of my fate and the captain of my soul and i belong to me and nobody else and then of course you know just the the materialism of the world i mean we're constantly told you're going to be happy and fulfilled by having more stuff and so we get more stuff and then we find out man that just takes more time to manage all that stuff i mean if i have one car i have to manage if i have two cars three cars four i mean now i got to do oil changes and maintenance and all that, and I go out and buy Christmas decorations, and it looks great at Christmas, but I spend hours setting it up and hours taking it down, and then i got to store it someplace. And, and every time I buy another thing, it, it demands more of my time. And the more stuff I have, the less time I have to be invested significantly with other people. Think about all the ways that our culture works against building community. It's so easy for us to disengage them. I mean, it's almost kind of the default. We don't even have to try it. I mean, relationships are messy and complicated and, and risky, and, and I might get hurt, and uh, maybe you have been hurt. Maybe you know the, the pain of losing a friend. People move in and out of our lives, and, and there's a loss there. I mean, we moved every two years when I was a kid up through the end of grade school, and, you know, you get to a point where you just go, it's not worth it. I mean, why bother trying to make friends? Because I'm just going to move again, and I'm just going to get hurt when I have to say goodbye to these friends. And change and loss and grief are, can be devastating and, and make us shut our hearts down. God knows what that does to us, and, and he knows the pain, and, and he wants to walk through it with us. He has compassion on the brokenhearted, but we have to fight the temptation to, to shut down and put up walls and just retreat because it's hard and it's messy and it can hurt. Because God is calling us to love one another the way that he has loved us. We've got to fight the temptation to tell ourselves, you know, I'm not going to be hurt again. I'm not going to open up. You know, maybe you're sitting on the sidelines. Maybe you're even in a group. Maybe, maybe you have a connection with people, some, some circle of friends, but... There's always still that tendency to, to hold part of ourselves back. Our hearts get guarded. We, we put on a mask. The goal of the Christian life is not to avoid pain, but to be conformed to the image of Christ and to reflect what God is like, which is self-giving love. And so maybe, maybe for some of us it's saying, uh, you know, God, I've been disengaged. I've been disappointed. I haven't been wanting to take the risk. I've, I've pulled back. I, I'm, maybe I'm fearful, and I, I don't want to let anyone get close. But God, I, I know I, I 
I know I need relationship. I, I know that's part of what it means to love. And so, God, I, I want to get connected. Maybe that's, maybe it is joining a small group. Maybe it's just opening up to somebody that you already have a relationship with. Maybe it's getting real about what's going on in your life. Maybe it's getting honest with someone about a sin that you're struggling with. God calls us to love in community because that's who he is and that's what he's called us to be and saved us for. Did you ever, uh, and those of you who are parents, uh, can we just be honest? I mean, there are times where uh, we say, why did we have kids? I mean, if you think about it, honestly, we, we love our kids. We're, kids are a huge blessing and joy. But, but honestly, especially newborns, I mean, they're noisy, they're smelly, they're demanding, they're expensive, they, may, they demand constant supervision. Uh, why do we go through the trouble and the hassle, right? I mean, you can say, well, it's God, or it's biology, or it's tradition, or, or whatever it is. But here's, here's one way to think about it. You meet someone. You fall in love. And you look at this other person and you say, wow, this is awesome. This, this is great. I, I want to draw more people into the experience of this love that God has given us. This is fantastic what we've got going here. And, and we want to pass it on. We want to engage more people in it. We, we, want, to, we want a family, to, a larger family to share this with, to share the joy and the love and and the beauty of what we're experiencing. And, you know, we have kids, and, and when they're little, we protect them, we change them, we read them, we sing to them, we play with them, and, and we don't get much back when they're newborns. But one day, one day that baby smiles, right? And then one of your friends says, ah, it's gas. <laughs> yeah, thanks. No, the baby smiled. No, it was a real smile. Well, one day it is a real smile regardless. Why does that matter so much? Yeah, because there's a part of us that, yeah, I want to know that this child is loving me back, but even more, that smile is a reflection of the relationship. There's something that it does to us to know I made someone else smile. I blessed someone else. I made their life better. And we smile on the inside when that other person smiles. That's what love is. That's what the gospel is, isn't it? Love says, I will pay any price. I will risk any danger. I will sacrifice any of my good. I will lose sleep. I will invest myself to love and do good to the object of my love. That's who God is. That is Jesus, isn't it? One definition of biblical love is this. The willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person loved is deserving. The willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person loved is deserving. Verse 10, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, 
if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John says, because God has loved us that way, now we can love the way that God has poured his love into us. And the measure, the the standard, the goal of our love is how the Father has poured out his love to us through his Son. John is reminding us of how great not just Jesus' love is in giving himself, but how great the Father's love is in giving his Son willingly for undeserving, unloving people. And that's really kind of the second other big thing here, I think, that that the church is a community that doesn't just know God's love, but we're a community that shows God's love. That's what church is. That's what we are. Look at how John goes on in verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. His love is demonstrated. His love becomes visible as we love one another. We are a community that shows each other what love looks like. We're a community committed to helping others know and grow in God's love. That's what it means to love. Ruth Haley Barton uh, continues in that book, uh, Life Together in Christ. Spiritual transformation takes place incrementally over time with others in the context of disciplines and habits that open us up to God. While we are still on earth, we will grow in degrees and we need each other in order to grow. Now think about how the New Testament writers talk about that and just some of the commands that we're given to forgive one another. We do that because God has forgiven us. It's, it's a, willing, a willingness to take the cost, the pain on ourselves of what others have done without the need to get even because that's what Jesus has done for us. We respond the way that the Father does to sin. We are willing to bear the cost in order to be reconciled, even to the one that has sinned against us. Confess your sins to one another. Bear one another's burdens. Encourage one another. Boy, do you need encouragement? Do you have days where you just need to have hope poured into your heart? God says that's what we're to be for one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. It means whatever we're doing, wherever we're going, whatever the context of those relationships are, we have a purpose, we have an intentionality to point people and to relate to people in a way that they experience the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the patience, the kindness of God through us. Uh, Julie Foster caught me uh, after first hour and uh, gave me this uh, great little insight that uh, came to her. She said, you know, if you think about it, when we go to a, a small group or a Bible study, I'm there, yes, to learn something, but I'm also there ultimately that God could speak into other people through me. That as I am learning under God's word, God is speaking to me and, and I have a unique perspective and an insight that nobody else will have because I'm uniquely created in God's image and I'm there to help others grow in their love and understanding of Jesus. 
So one of the things that that can look like, for example, is in community groups. We, we are just intentional to ask maybe, what is God doing in your life? It could be over coffee, it could be over lunch, it can be in Bible studies, but it opens up all kinds of questions and discussions about what's going on, about fears and hopes and, and dreams and struggles and challenges and needs and successes and failures and and then that gives us the opportunity to pour encouragement or guidance or direction or rebuke or correction or instruction or, or exhortation into one another. We're there to help each other be reminded of what is ultimately true and to help realign our priorities and, and our values and our choices. We come together to teach one another, encourage one another, hold each other accountable and one of the things that we found helpful in our small group is uh, as, as we're going through God's word, we're, we're intentional after we've spent time hearing what God says to say to each other, okay, so now that we've heard God speak to us, what do we want God to do in our lives with this? What's the output of it? And who else needs to hear what we have just seen? And then we're going to come back together next week and talk about how that went. And it gives us opportunities to put into action what we're learning about God and gives us opportunities to think about how I can love people intentionally. And then as we come back next week and say, man, I really didn't do a good job, we pour grace and encouragement into each other and we stir one another up to continue to seek God, to continue to grow in love and good deeds. One of the struggles I think we have with that is Man, how, how do, who do I trust with that? How, how do I know that it's safe to confess my sins and talk about the idols of my heart and, and places where I'm struggling? I, I don't have a voice, a verse that I can point you to, but uh, I could just tell you from maybe my own experience and observation. Uh, here's one of the things that I've discovered. Broken people are usually the safest people. When you can find someone that that really has been humbled in an appropriate way because they really have an awareness of how deep a sinner I am and how great Jesus' love is for me and how radically dependent I am on him. Those are people that it's usually safe because they know I'm a sinner saved by grace and, and man, I am just thankful that Jesus is at work in me. John Newton was a British slave trader who became a follower of Christ. He quit working in the slave trade. He became uh, an Anglican pastor uh, outside of London and, of course, was a uh, famous writer of many hymns like Amazing Grace and, and others. And near the end of his life, he said this, Although my memory is fading, I remember two things. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. As we grow to be people that know those two things, we grow to become safe people. We grow to become people who can bear one another's burdens and confess our sins to each other and encourage one another. The more that we see the depth of our sin and the greatness of God's mercy, the more we are empowered to love as we know we have been loved undeservedly. Imagine what it would be like to have a community of uh, humble, gracious, kind, forgiving people who pour themselves out 
to give love to one another because they have known God's love. And, and I know, I mean, my flesh is arguing back, maybe like yours is too. Yeah, if I do that, people will walk all over you, you'll get taken advantage of. And yeah, that's a distinct possibility. And yeah, I, I, want, I want to be able to manage the risk, right? I want to know what, what's my liability here? How much, how much am I liable for? How much am I open for? Is there, is, what's the limit, the reasonable limit on how much people are going to be allowed to, you know, let me down and disappoint me? And how much love do I have to give? Because they will. Because we're all broken. And the world is a mess. But the good news is that God's design is that the trials, those hurts and disappointments actually become what he can redeem to grow us even more to be people of love and forgiveness and grace and humility and kindness. God's intention in taking us through those painful, hard disappointments of community and relationship is that they would actually become part of what grows us to look more like Jesus. So don't, don't run away from them. As hard as it is, as much as it can hurt, because God wants to take us through those things so that we would grow more to be people of love and grace and community with each other because of the hurts and the disappointments and the failures. Can we commit ourselves before God to try to move a little closer towards a biblical vision of love and community and, and hospitality that we could open our hearts and our homes and our lives that we would invest ourselves, that we would give ourselves, not even just to pursue friends, not even just to pursue strangers, but to actually pursue enemies in order to make them friends and brothers and sisters because that's God's love for us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love for us in the gospel. Help us. Help us to grow to be more of a community where everyone is looking out for each other's interests. That our goal would be to pour ourselves out to see other people smile, to see other people blessed, to see others built up and encouraged and, and where we're doing that for each other and all the more. God, I, I thank you that, uh, that we experience so much of that here at Faith, but we want to grow. We, we want to be more and more a community of love that reflects what you are like. Would you help us to do that, God? In, in the power of your spirit, guided by your word. Father, help us to be willing to give ourselves as Jesus has given himself to us. That your love would be perfected in us. Pray it in Jesus' name.